Hello and welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters podcast with me, your host, Nigel Palmer. In this week's episode of the Wildlife Matters podcast, we will explore the intriguing ways that British wildlife and nature adapt to winter here in Britain. Later on, join us for some mindful moments as we connect with nature. And on this week's Wildlife Matters main feature, we will explore what hedgehogs eat, yes, in the wild, but also how you can help them in your garden and what you should avoid feeding them. And that's all coming up after a quick word from our partners at One Voice for Animals. There's so much to look forward to, so let's get this podcast started. Exciting news! Wildlife Matters has formed a partnership with the fabulous folk at One Voice for Animals. Our partnership aims to raise awareness of the work of the many independent rescues that are part of the One Voice for Animals family. One Voice for Animals works to create awareness of the work of rescue organisations all around the UK to provide practical support that is raising standards for animal rescues and helping them to raise the vital funds that they need. The One Voice for Animals directory is the place to go to find your local animal rescue, be that for companion or wild animals. And collectively, One Voice for Animals works to influence UK animal welfare issues on behalf of their member organisations and is a member of APGOR, the all-parliamentary group for animal welfare. For more information, please visit the One Voice for Animals website. Their website address is www.helpanimals.co.uk. UK. And just in case you've missed that, get your pen and papers ready. The website address is www.helpanimals.co.uk. Now let's get back to the Wildlife Matters podcast. And on this week's Wildlife Matters podcast, we are looking at the incredible ways that British wildlife and nature adapts to winter. I mean, it's over millions of years. Every living being on Earth has evolved and adapted to its unique environment. This adaptation includes the ability to adjust to the habitat's air, water, soil, light and temperature. Even we humans have adapted to our modern habitat. However, the more recent climate changes are emerging faster than any species on Earth, including humans, can evolve to survive. As the days become shorter in autumn, the deciduous trees lose their leaves, spiders move indoors, and insects seem to just disappear. Most people notice the shorter days, the longer nights, and the drop in temperature. 
Overnight frosts and snowfall will soon be with us once again. And this time, humans often go outdoors less, preferring to stay indoors and turn up the heating instead. I will always advocate popping on an extra layer, grabbing your hat, your scarf and coat, pulling on your boots and getting outside as often as possible. Our wildlife has adapted to survive the winter months. So join me as we explore some of the ways wildlife adapts to survive through the British winter. Cold-blooded animals have developed some unique ways of surviving during winter. Vertebrates such as fish, amphibians, reptiles, and invertebrates that lack backbones adapt to changes in their habitat by slowing down their body process, known as dyspause. This helps them conserve energy and survive for several weeks in seclusion. They hide under stones, logs, in ponds, pools, or compost heaps to protect themselves from predators and the cold weather. Invertebrates like mini-beasts hide their eggs, larvae, or pupae during the winter, ready to continue their species' life cycle in spring. Female spiders will often die after laying eggs in autumn. Their offspring remain in white silk cocoons, usually tucked away under logs, in barns, garden sheds, and sometimes even in our houses. And in spring, the baby spiders emerge from the cocoon, continuing the survival of their species. Mammals in winter, including humans, prepare by consuming as much food as possible. They fatten themselves up to maintain a constant body temperature during the cold weather. Wild mammals like foxes, badgers and squirrels grow thicker coats to keep the air warmed by their body heat closer to their skin. Smaller mammals like mice and voles create cosy underground nests to sleep in during colder days, conserving energy by being inactive. Badgers don't hibernate, but they save energy by sleeping through spells of particularly bad weather in their underground sets lined with bracken and other plant material, which sounds very cosy. Foxes and deer remain active throughout winter, surviving on various food types including carrion and human scraps. Deer will browse the leaves of evergreen plants. Insectivorous mammals slow their body process in hibernation to survive through winter. In fact, only three British wild species actually hibernate. Bats, which rely on invertebrates for food, do hibernate through winter, wrapped in their wings deep in caves or tree holes or even in people's attics. Bats rely entirely on insects and wake up on warmer days to look for food and water. Despite the common belief, hedgehogs do not hibernate all winter. They drop body temperature and lower their heartbeat to just a few beats per minute, conserving their energy. Longer, colder winters suit these mammals better as they will remain in hibernation for extended periods. But our current pattern of warmer, wet winters in Britain means that some hedgehogs will not hibernate at all. 
In contrast, others will be awake on the warmer days. This causes significant problems for the individual hedgehogs who have used vast amounts of their stored energy to wake up from their lethargy and need to find food to restore those energy levels. The primary food sources such as beetles and worms are absent and many will become sick and some will die. Dormouse is really the only true hibernator now in Britain. The new standard and edible dormouse sleeps from October through to early April without waking up at all. They spend the autumn months fattening themselves up, eating pollen, flowers, insects and fruits, often doubling their weight whilst building a warm, cosy nest usually in a hazel hedgerow, in the centre for the common dormouse and nearer to the ground for the edible dormouse. So how do birds adapt to winter? Well, birds have the advantage of flight, of course, so some species will fly to warmer climates when the days are getting shorter and food is more scarce. This is a survival strategy known as migration. The swallow is perhaps the best-known migrant bird species, with flocks of swallows arriving in Britain in the late spring, having flown from southern Africa. They will spend the summer in Britain raising two or sometimes three broods before they flock together to re- for the return journey. Like its close relative, the house martin, the swallow is well adapted for long-distance flight with a streamlined body and narrow, curved wings. Many bird species will stay in Britain during the winter, some having flown in from their northern breeding grounds such as Russia, Greenland, Scandinavia or even the Arctic. They do this to avoid the icy conditions in those places. While some blackbirds, song thrushes and starlings are resident species in Britain, others flock into the country from northern climes to enjoy our comparatively mild winters. Other winter migrants include redwings, bramblings and fieldfares, cousins of the thrush, finch and blackbird. Wild fruits and seeds are an essential food source for all of these birds. On colder nights, you will see them roosting with their feathers fluffed out to help keep themselves warm. Many waterfowl and waders flock to our shores to find ice-free water and mudflats. But what about plants? Well, plants lose water through their leaves via a process known as transpiration. Apart from the problem of frozen earth and water during the winter, Photosynthesis in the leaves would also be poor because there are only a few hours of feasible sunlight each day. Many plants, therefore, overcome these problems by shutting down almost entirely. Perennial plants such as red campion or oxide daisy that continue to grow for several years often lose their leaves and stems and the stems may die back during the winter and they rely on stored food in their root systems to survive. Annual plants such as common poppies or corn cockles will flower in the summer and then die off completely, leaving only their seeds to survive the winter and germinate the following spring. 
Some seeds of plants need to be frozen by the winter frosts before they can germinate. This is so that they do not grow early during the warm autumn weather. Evergreen trees, such as holly or Scots pine, often have leaves with a thick, waxy coating or thin, needle-like appearance. These adaptations help them to conserve water during the winter months. Deciduous trees, such as oak, ash and beech, shed their leaves in the autumn. On frosty winter days, when the water in the soil is frozen, it cannot be taken up by the roots, even if the air temperature is above freezing and the winter sun is shining. If these native British trees had leaves throughout the winter, they would lose a lot of water and eventually wilt, which could result in the tree's death. So, dropping their leaves before the winter sets in is an excellent thing for native deciduous trees to do. The fallen leaves mulch and feed the soil and help to protect the tree from the severe winds and winter storms. Oak, beech and other native deciduous trees can tick over during the winter using stored energy in their root systems. In the autumn, as the tree begins to become dormant, a compound called abscisic acid triggers in the base of the leaves. This reduces the water from the tree from reaching the leaf. As they gradually break down, the red and purple anthracinin, which help to protect the young leaf and the chlorophyll that produces the green color begins to fade and the leaf will break down. All leaves on the trees are individual and will, therefore, break down in various stages at differing times before falling from the tree. This process brings us the magical hues and the colours of autumn. Nature is fantastic, as these varied techniques and adaptations to the short winter days and cold, long winter nights clearly demonstrate to us. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our little chat about how our British wildlife adapts to winter in Britain. for you. I was transported all the way back to spring with the multiple shades of green bursting out of every plant, shrub and tree and that low pitch hum of insects busily going around their business of the day and the warmth 
with the spring sunshine on my back and neck. Truly a magical moment to remember on this week's Wildlife Matters podcast. And on this week's Wildlife Matters podcast, we are looking at what hedgehogs eat. Fascinating subject. Thank you for joining us. Hedgehogs are omnivores with a diverse diet, including invertebrates like beetles, caterpillars, earthworms, millipedes, snails, and slugs. They're all favorites for a hedgehog. Still, hedgehogs are flexible when it comes to their diet. Despite their small size, hedgehogs have a large appetite and are opportunistic scavengers. They will eat ground nesting bird eggs, chicks that may have fallen from the nest and carrion. They're also thirsty animals and require a regular clean, fresh water supply. Being opportunistic feeders, hedgehogs will consume small amphibians and reptiles but meat is only a tiny part of their regular diet. Being nocturnal insectivores, they are necessarily very efficient at processing vitamins. For example, we need sunlight to produce vitamin D, but hedgehogs don't. So watch the additives in pet foods as some cat food can have very high levels of vitamins A and D. Hedgehogs have evolved to metabolize fat efficiently and gain weight quickly, ideal for an animal that hibernates. Whilst hedgehogs can move quickly and have sharp canine teeth, they are not hunters and are more likely to scavenge from carcasses. Hedgehogs are naturally insectivores, but in addition to insects, they can enjoy and digest quite a variety of foods. Insect and animal proteins are best, but hedgehogs need a lot of fiber. Think of all those insects and snail shells that they would eat. So overly processed foods are a no-no. Hedgehogs will eat food they can easily catch or scavenge though, including reptiles and even snakes, but eating either species is very infrequent. It is a common belief that hedgehogs are immune to snake venom, but this isn't true. However, in the UK, the only venomous snake, the adder, is too small to harm a healthy hedgehog. Although hedgehog numbers are declining in the British countryside, they have recently become more frequent garden visitors. This is beneficial for the recovery of the hedgehog population in urban areas as gardens provide a safe habitat for them to rest and nest and often have a regular supply of both food and water. If you would like to attract hedgehogs to your garden, there are five simple things that you should do according to the Amazing Grace project. The first is can a hedgehog get in and out of your garden? Many gardens now have wooden fence panels that enclose your garden and provide an effective barrier to stop the hedgehogs from getting in. 
The solution is to cut a small hole of around 12.5 centimetres or 5 inches in the base of your fence, ideally behind some shrubs or plants. Another option is to take a small section from or raise your back garden gate. Removing just a single brick from the base of a brick wall is all a hedgehog needs to get into your garden. The second is what food is available in your garden. Hedgehogs can roam for up to two kilometers per night in search of food, so you want to ensure that if they come to your garden, they can find food, which is the purpose of this podcast. Natural is always best by providing a colourful and diverse range of plants and shrubs in your garden you will be attracting a wide range of insects, invertebrates, vertebrates, reptiles and amphibians like beetles, worms, caterpillars that we talked about at the start of the podcast and they are a hedgehog's natural diet. You should aim to help them though through the late autumn and winter by providing an additional food source. But please remember, if you start to feed, you must continue, as the hedgehogs will be relying on you. And if you forget, or worse, stop feeding in the colder months, that could have fatal consequences for the hedgehogs. The third thing is a place to nest and rest. Hedgehogs like to find a safe place, undercover, to rest during the day where they are safe from predation. This could be amongst shrubs and densely planted perennials at the base of a hedge or even in a patch of grass that you will leave long and uncut through the spring and summer. Hedgehogs will nest in strange places and have been found in garden structures, sheds, garages, empty buckets, old compost sacks and even in old sand pits or paddling pools anything that is undercover and keeps Mrs. Hedgehog and her hoglets out of sight of predators. The fourth is something we all need, and that is water. Hedgehogs need a reliable source of clean, fresh water. If you have a garden pond, that's ideal, but please ensure that you have shallow or sloping edges or at least a ramp that can be used for them to get out if a hedgehog accidentally tumbles in. They are great swimmers but can only swim for a limited period just like us and they will drown without an escape route. If you don't have a pond, a shallow dish of water that should be emptied and replaced daily is ideal. What works well is a ceramic plant pot base that is wide and shallow and can be filled with gravel that will help keep the water from drying out in the warm weather and from freezing over in the cold weather. The fifth and final part is garden hazards. Now we've talked about ponds, but there can be all manner of hazards for a hedgehog in your garden. I encourage you to try and see your garden from a hedgehog's view. Firstly, do you have open or grated drains in your garden? If so, are the covers securely in place? 
If you have netting on your vegetables or your football goal or similar, please keep the netting off the ground at all times. And please don't use any bug killer, moss or weed killers in your garden. Remember, if it has the word side, C-I-D-E, that means poison. And no matter what the pack claims, it's a herbicide, insecticide, or if it contains glyphosate, it will kill the plants and the bugs that your hedgehog is depending on for its natural diet. Now, there are, we're talking about things that you can feed hedgehogs, but I'd also like to highlight some of the things that you shouldn't be feeding to your hedgehogs. So don't feed your hedgehogs any of these. Bread and milk are commonly known as food for hedgehogs, but milk isn't good for them. Hedgehogs are lactose intolerant, just like most mammals, including humans. Similarly, despite being fortified with vitamins and minerals, white bread has a limited nutritional value. It can cause bloating due to the gluten, making the animal feel full, even though their stomach isn't. Cheese is of course a dairy product, so is unsuitable for hedgehogs for the same reasons as milk. Although dairy products are not poisonous, lactose can cause digestive problems that may lead to diarrhea and a subsequent loss of condition in the hedgehog. It would be best to refrain from feeding hedgehogs cooked or raw meat. Cooked meat will soon be covered in flies which will lay their eggs and contain harmful bacteria. The flesh decomposes quickly in the garden and you will almost certainly attract a range of carnivores, including rats. There are also some things that are okay as occasional treats but not ideal hedgehog food. So please bear this in mind because hedgehogs will eat a wide range of fruit but never ever citrus fruit such as oranges, lemons and limes. This should also include grapes and avocado. However, fallen fruits such as apples, pears, plums and berries that are higher in sugar and calories make them unsuitable for their regular diet but may be a great booster particularly in the autumn time which is of course when nature puts those fruits on the floor. Vegetables, especially pumpkins and squash, are not a feature of their diet, even though they're often left out for wildlife around Halloween. Hedgehogs will eat most nuts, including peanuts, but nuts are not a good food choice for hedgehogs. Whole peanuts can get caught in their teeth and palate, where they will rot and lead to gum infections and tooth decay. There are also recorded cases of hedgehogs being asphyxiated by peanuts that have become stuck in their throats. Mealworms are a popular treat and contain excellent proteins and amino acids that can be beneficial as part of a balanced hedgehog diet. The problem is mealworms have an abysmal calcium-phosphorus ratio and unlike birds, hedgehogs do not need a high-fat source in their diet. Anyone offering mealworms to hedgehogs will know they become very excited and will greedily eat everything provided. 
I can perhaps best relate this to us eating junk food that tastes great. It's full of fats and calories and, as an occasional treat, it's acceptable if you maintain a balanced, healthy diet. But we know that too much junk food is not good for you, and it's the same for hedgehogs, so it's best not to offer them mealworms in the first place. It is often said not to feed fish to hedgehogs, and whilst it's hard to imagine fish being part of their natural diet, fish protein is beneficial, and therefore, within a balanced diet, fish-based cat food is okay for your hedgehogs. The simplest way I can think of is to mix a variety of the flavoured sachets and divide them between bowls or serve over a couple of days, therefore ensuring a good mix of all the ingredients and providing a balanced diet to your hedgehogs. It has been proven that hedgehogs can digest fish, so there are no concerns. And fish-based food travels quickly through the hedgehog's digestive system which can mean a strong fish smell in their poo. If you feed fish-based food, you will see that some are attracted to the strong smell of fish and others are repelled. Hedgehogs can eat good quality dog and cat foods. Dog food has a broader range of ingredients than cat food and provides lower protein, vitamins and minerals, making it a good option for hedgehogs. Cat food is rich in nutrition, but can contain high levels of protein and vitamins, particularly vitamins A and D. Still, hedgehogs are nocturnal. They are very efficient at processing vitamins, so unlike humans, they don't need to get their vitamin D from the sun and their bodies can't metabolize all the vitamins in the cat food. A wide range of commercial hedgehog food is now available in our supermarkets and garden centers or online. However, it's important to note that some brands are simply repackaged cat or dog food and are not specially formulated for hedgehogs. Therefore, Wildlife Matters advises reading the packaging or website to see if the product has been specially formulated for hedgehogs or contains insects in the ingredients list. If you do decide to feed your garden hedgehogs, then here are some tips and advice that will help you make the feeding suitable for the hedgehogs and for you. Always clean the bowls daily and if possible, do not leave the food out all night. If you do, bring it in as soon as possible in the morning to avoid attracting other animals such as cats and rats to your garden. Move the location of the food bowls around the garden regularly. It has been proven that searching for food is suitable for hedgehogs and ensures that they use their keen sense of smell to locate their food. This best replicates the natural search for food. Always place the food near some natural cover so your hedgehogs are not exposed to predators. An excellent way to remember this is to drop the H and think of them as edge hogs. You should never see a hedgehog in the center of your lawn or an open area. If they are in the open and not just moving through, then they are likely to be in trouble and may need your help. 
It's crucial to leave fresh water out daily. Use shallow bowls filled with gravel that help reduce evaporation in hot weather and keep the water fresher. Whilst in cold weather, it will help prevent the water completely freezing over. Hedgehogs instinctively know to push the gravel around with their noses to find drops of water under the gravel, even in a dried out or a frozen bowl. Those few drops of water can be lifesavers. Feeding stations can be a challenge to keep clean and may become a health hazard to hedgehogs, so it's best not to use them. Once you start feeding hedgehogs, they will begin to rely on the food, especially during the winter, when hibernating hedgehogs sometimes wake up searching for food. After many years of feeding hedgehogs in our garden, we use Spike's hedgehog food as it provides a nutritionally balanced diet formulated especially for hedgehogs. You can buy Spike's food at local shops, garden centers, or online. For clarity, Wildlife Matters is not sponsored or supported in any way by Spike's Hedgehog Food. This recommendation is based purely on our own learned experience. If you would like more information, do check out the Spike's website at www.spikesfood.co.uk. Thank you for joining us and I hope that has helped you understand what you should and what you shouldn't be feeding to your hedgehogs. Well, who knew that hedgehogs had such a variable diet? I hope that you've enjoyed learning about hedgehogs and the many wonderful ways our wildlife adapts to winter. Coming up on the next Wildlife Matters podcast, join us for two of the projects that we have been working on throughout this year. The first is a Wildlife Matters Investigates campaign that we've called Where Have All the Raptors Gone? which details the disappearing raptors on the upland moors of Britain. And then join me as we get a chance to explain why woodlands are so good for your well-being and some of the ways being out in nature can really help people who have health challenges, whether they're mental or physical. And that's a really good one. So please, please do try and join us for that one. And just before we go, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone listening as the Wildlife Matters podcast is currently number 72 in the UK's top 100 podcasts. And that's a chart that includes all of the BBC and the celeb-hosted podcasts that are available in the UK. So for a little independent and self-funded podcast all about British wildlife, to get into the top 100 is an incredible achievement. And of course, we couldn't have done it without all of you. Thank you for giving wildlife a voice. And we will see you again on the 6th of December. But until then, keep it wild and keep it safe. This is me, Nigel Palmer, Wildlife Matters, signing off.